I think we're living in a time where, at least to most of us, it's quite obvious that we need to start to adjust the way we're living for the sake of the planet, for the sake of you know future generations. So that's really important to us. And like I said, we transitioned last year as well to fully running the business on renewable power. Hi there. Thanks for tuning in to Future Foodcast today, uh, where thought leaders in today's food industry discuss the trends and technology that will shape the future of food. My name is Sachin Sharma. I work with uh, Paramount Software Solutions and, you know, I work on the enterprise solution domain and on the emerging technology. So, you know, glad today we are speaking with Patrick Stark, who is the co-founder at Endurance Tap. You can explore more about Endurance Tap on HTTPS, uh, endurancetap.com. Patrick, thanks for time, spending time with us today. How are you doing today? Uh, well, Sachin, thank you so much for having me on. I'm doing great. Uh, had a nice weekend, and I'm really looking forward to this chat. So, Patrick, it's, it's really great to have you on our show and the, the story and the product that you're bringing here on this platform. This is really amazing. So, would you mind sharing with our, with our guest about Endurance Tap, you know, products, technologies, your role at Endurance Tap, and any other info or content you think might be relevant to our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Endurance Tap is a sports nutrition company. We manufacture an all-natural sports nutrition product, which is made with uh, Canadian maple syrup, sea salt, and ginger. That's our flagship product. And we have a second caffeinated version that has green coffee bean extract. Uh, so we've been around for about seven years, and we started the company really as a, a, an answer to the problem of um, not having good natural options out there for endurance athletes. So the majority of the products are made with maltodextrin, something that doesn't really jive with uh, athletes that are trying to lead a, a healthy lifestyle. Um, so we started the company for that reason. Um, it was essentially a side hustle for me for about uh, six and a half years. I jumped into it full-time just this spring in April. So I've been working full-time on the business uh, since then. Interesting to know. Um... So, so, you know, in terms of your product, in terms of your uh, market, are you more uh, B2B or B2C? Where do you find yourself? Yeah, so our, uh, it's a consumer product. Um, we do sell through three main channels. Uh, so we do direct customer via a Shopify website. Uh, we sell on Amazon in both uh, the United States and Canada as a fulfilled by Amazon uh, Prime item. And then we sell wholesale to a retail network as well, which is a lot larger in Canada, but we do have some retailers in the States too. But the, the end, end consumer is, uh, is consumers. Just to iterate that, so you said you're pretty much like both B2C and B, but you're more focused towards the, the consumer, direct to consumer, right? We sell through three main channels. Um, so there's direct to consumer via our Shopify website. There is direct consumer via Amazon, fulfilled by Amazon, um, both in the United States and Canada. And then we sell uh, wholesale to retailers, but of course there's consumers uh, are the, the end customer there as well. So Patrick, tell us a little bit about uh, your, your market, uh, your target mar market. Are you aiming at the athletes, like the professional athletes or this, these products are like, who, who all these products are uh, basically aimed at? 
Yeah, that's a great question. So really, it's anybody who gets out and is active um, in any sort of way for maybe over an hour. So it could be, you know, primarily our customers are runners just because there's so many runners, but it can be runners, cyclists, uh, triathletes, we have golfers, we have hockey players, we have swimmers, etc. Um, and uh, we certainly do have professional athletes and Olympians using the product, but the majority of our customers are, you know, recreational athletes, uh, like, uh, like ourselves. So I, I see that endurance tab is, is, uh, manufacturing and selling sports and nutrition products internationally in more than 10,000. Oh, I'm sorry. 1000 retailers. Is that right? Yeah. So at least it, it's changed a little bit through COVID. Um, we were in uh, about a thousand doors in 2019, and that sort of shifted a bit. There's been an increase in the e-commerce and a bit of a decrease in the uh, retail doors. But yes, approximately. That's great. So uh, I imagine in your role as one of the founders, uh, you know, you follow news about the food and especially the trends in the nutrition uh, products. Which trend is of the most interest to you and to your organization and why? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, the, the trend that, that uh, is definitely of the most interest to us and that we fit right into is uh, the trend towards more natural uh, and plant-based products. Um, when we started Endurance Tap, we sort of caught the beginning, I think, of a wave that has just increased since then. Um, so we're watching that sort of closely. We're seeing, uh, obviously companies like beyond meat, there's a lot of sort of movement in this area, a lot of investment in this area. And the other trend that's very important to us is reduction in packaging specifically in plastics. So we just recently made a packaging change where we reduced our plastic by 70%. Uh, we just launched that actually last week. So that was a big step for us. So I think the, um, you know, natural products, um, largely plant-based uh, reduction in plastic, sort of the um, everything under the umbrella of, uh, you know, environmental type concerns is uh, a trend that we're, we're part of and that we're watching. In terms of the packaging, yeah, that's really awesome that you are, you know, that there's a reduction of 70% of the plastic. So pretty good. I think a lot of innovation in that field, but what, what's your uh, long-term vision and the plan? I mean, I understand, you know, with the United Nations, you know, new regulations uh, coming ahead uh, and plastic ban is, is really one of the town and everybody is really kind of, every organization is finding ways to minimize the use of the plastic, or, you know. So, um, so the, the first change we made, which was with our single use um, package, was a 70% reduction. It's still made with a, a laminate film, which is not ideal. It's not easy to recycle. Um, the other change we've made is we've introduced a 28 serving bottle, which is fully recyclable. And in conjunction with that, a reusable uh, soft flask, which holds five shots. Um, so that is actually a system that is fully recyclable, fully reusable, and eliminates the use of plastic. So we're We've been, the holy grail for us is a biodegradable um, film that we can use for our single use. There's simply nothing like that out there. We're not a big enough company to develop that technology ourselves. So that's something we're, you know, we, we've been looking for, but just hasn't happened. Um, but in the meantime, we have this uh, option of the recyclable bottle and reusable soft flask. So as a, as a leader in your organization, Patrick, you may be getting access to a lot of consumer data and, you know, the feedbacks. Uh, what does it tell you what, what, and how do you kind of make sure that that data is kind of helpful in kind of gunning, 
kind of uh, setting up the strategy for your future? Sure, that's a great question. So something that we do, um, which is a little bit more um, you know, specific to us, is we connect a lot with our customers directly. So part of our email flows, our automated email flows, ask our customers questions about where they heard about us, you know, what they like about us. Um, so we get inbound emails every day from customers giving us feedback on our product, which we use to inform you know, our future plans. Um, the changes we made to our packaging, a lot of that was informed by uh, feedback from our customers around our original packaging, was, which was a little bit large compared to our competitors. Um, so that's something that's super important to us. In terms of sort of more high-level um, data, um, you know, we do watch uh, larger trends in terms of, for example, engagement in different endurance sports and, uh, you know, sort of subsets of endurance sport. Something like gravel riding, for example, has become very popular recently, which is a sort of subset of road cycling on dirt roads with slightly different bikes. So sort of like keep an eye on these types of trends so that we can adapt our strategies more on the marketing side than on the product and packaging side. Um, but we need to understand what people are doing and what they're interested in. Great. Uh, so the next, next question I have is, you know, uh, how are you creating long-term value for your organization? I mean, what are some of the sustainable sustainable goals for you? You know, I don't know. I mean, I, I know in some ways you already built up on that and you sort of alluded towards that, but is that something you wanted to build upon? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the way we look at that, there's uh, there's a couple of different angles. So there's the, you know, there, there's the uh, very pragmatic, you know, sustainable, we want, you know, biodegradable packaging, that's fine. But the other thing that we're doing is we actually um, have started to try to get back to the very community that supports us. So, you know, our community is endurance athletes across North America. We started a program called the Endurance Tap Changemakers Program. And what we're doing is supporting a group of folks who are passionate about a variety of causes. So it might be mental health, it might be environmental, you know, it, there's a bunch of different ones. And those change makers can promote endurance tap through their channels with a code, which is just their front, their first name. And when customers buy using that code, we give 5% of those sales back to their charities. So the way we see the business, uh, Matt, my co-founder and I, is that we want to bring our personal values into it. And as a sustainable long-term business, um, it has to be sort of looking at it holistically. So there's the packaging, but there's also the community um, so we're trying to get back to the community that, um, you know, keeps us going. We're trying to continue to look at ways to improve our packaging. Um, we've joined 1% for the planet where we, we donate 1% of our top line revenue to environmental causes uh, annually. Uh, we've changed to a renewable energy supplier, Bullfrog Power, here in uh, Ontario and Canada. So our offices and production are completely powered by uh, renewable sources. So it's very important to us, and we're putting a lot of uh, effort into that area. What, what are some of the biggest challenges uh, Endurance Tap is facing today? And how do you think that might change in the future? Yeah, so I think, you know, we have, we have the, the uh, very stereotypical challenges of a, a small, fast-growing business. Uh, you know, managing cash flow is uh, sort of uh, an obvious one there. Um, pressure for, from competitors, um, that sort of thing. So that, that we just have to manage. But in terms of things that are going to change in the future, I think something that's happened in the last few years is this big push towards e-commerce. You know, we are based in Canada. We sell in Canada and the United States. Um, our technology through Shopify allows us to sell in multi-currencies and multi-countries, but it's not a very simple process. It's actually quite challenging to maintain 
uh, inventory in different countries skews because you know obviously the packaging compliance is such that we have to have different packaging for each country, um, FDA regulations for shipping things across the border. What I see in the future, hopefully, is a lot more automation in those areas as companies like Shopify, um, you know, they'll have hopefully so many customers doing what we're doing that they start to build functionality into their platform that will help us do that. Great. Uh, you know, with, with the supply chain, post-pandemic, there has been a lot of challenges and also challenges with the, with the labor labor shortage and stuff like that. And do, do you see anything of that sort happening and any impact to that? Maybe not, yeah. maybe not current, maybe in future, how do you see that? Yeah, so I think it's an interesting question because for us, you know, we faced all the same issues that everyone's been facing over the last couple of years. We had issues um, with, uh, with raw materials. We had just issues with logistics in general, um, a lot of late shipments to customers due to carriers being late and not being able to guarantee their, you know, their on-time uh, on time deliverables and whatnot. Um, so that's been a challenge for sure. That seems to have subsided largely, sort of stabilized. Uh, on the labor side, at least for us, you know, we recognized that it wasn't an easy time. We increased the, um, you know, the wages of everybody who's working in our, in our production area and maintain those increases. So it wasn't sort of just a, a bump for COVID. But I think the fundamental issue right now is that um, COVID has allowed a lot of people to reevaluate what's important to them. And essentially they're saying like, I don't wanna work a, you know, a crappy job for minimum wage. I think that's, that's the fundamental issue. There's a lot of people out there. I don't think there's necessarily a labor shortage. I think there's a shortage of people willing to pay what they need to, um, to, to get people to do the jobs that they need to get done. That's exactly right. Yeah, I mean, that's some of the things that we keep hearing that, you know, there exactly is not the, the shortage of the people, but yeah, you know, kind of motiv motivating them for doing that set, set yeah. job, which they have been doing for so long. Uh, yeah, it's, it's becoming more difficult because I guess they also have their more choices available, uh, yeah. you know, with this pause, but that's interesting to know. Uh, also, uh, Patrick, you know, can you just build up uh, something on the transparency? You know, I know the supply chain is very complex and, you know, you know, the, the product, which, you know, which, you know, the, the raw materials you may be getting from the vendors and then there's a process involved to manufacture it and then, uh, you know, maybe um, working with the logistic providers, 3PLs, 4PLs, and then kind of distributing. So in terms of the transparency, how do you see the transparency of the uh, the products? Yeah, so, you know, um, that's a great question. And there's actually a little uh, analogy I have, I think, that that's fun. That's a bit outside of the food industry, but there's a, um, there's a brand I really like called uh, Icebreaker, and they make like high-performance uh, merino wool um, shirts and whatnot. And I don't know if they still do this, but in the past, they used to have something called a barcode, sort of, you know, like sheep buying. And you'd put this barcode into the website and it would tell you, um, you know, where the sheep live that the wool came from for your shirt and sort of where, you know, the name of the farm and all this sort of thing. So it was this, this way to, um, for consumers to actually take a product and look back through, like backwards through the supply chain to see where it came from. I think it's a lot harder in food. Um, but I think that's the sort of thing that we should all be striving for, where there's just this transparency in like, oh, you know, where does your salt come from? We can say, well, it comes from Vancouver Island Sea Salt Company, you know, one of Canada's only sea salt manufacturers. Um, you know, we can walk you through the sugar bush where our maple syrup comes from and introduce you to the dog of the owner. Um, our product's really simple, so we don't actually have too many challenges surrounding, uh, I think, the, the transparency of that. 
Um, but I think it is very important for all of us to to keep in mind and and probably do better at. With the, with the pandemic and with in today's era, you know, we see technology kind of shaping up and uh, you know helping a lot uh, with the innovations and automation. Do you uh, specifically, you know, are you organized? in trust or exposure to the emerging technologies? You know, I mean, I know food blockchain is what we talk about, but you know, what, what are basically, we would like to know what are you using? How are you using the addition to kind of, you know, minimize the, the manual and kind of move, move more towards the automation? Yeah, so, I mean, I think um, that's a great question. And there's, I guess, a few, a few sort of aspects uh, of the answer. So I think like in terms of blockchain, um, and cryptography, I think, you know, overall, it's a really exciting technology that's going to impact so many industries from whether it's smart contracts and, you know, insurance and law to, uh, you know, blockchain and, and um, uh, tracking, you know, and traceability and this sort of thing. Um, and beyond that, and there's all these, uh, you know, NFTs happening and all sorts of excitement and all this. So I think there's a lot happening there. You know, that specifically doesn't necessarily apply to what we're doing. Again, I think we're, we're so simple that we often don't don't get into that, um, but we are using a lot of technologies specifically on the um, e-commerce side and on the accounting side and tying together all our systems so that um, you know, our accountants can very clearly see, for example, fees from Amazon versus fees from Shopify. Um, we use a, a company called A2X that integrates um, Amazon and Shopify into our accounting system. We use zero for that. Um, we use something called Dex that scans receipts and uploads them. So it automates um, expenses. So we don't have to do you know, expense reports. Um, so we automate all that as much as we can. That's actually part of our objective with Endurance Tap for Matt and I is, uh, is automation and reducing anything that is uh, you know, a, a repeating task that requires a human to, to do something. We try to automate that. Um, and then the, the technology stack on the e-commerce side, in terms of Shopify, we use Klaviyo for email, which is of course integrated with Shopify. We have a variety of apps we use that help us with our uh, geolocation, multiple countries, multiple currency. Um, so there's sort of, there's a lot that goes on there as well. So we, you know, we're a, a simple, all-natural product that heavily relies on uh, technology in the back back end of the business. I understand, you know, your product lineup and, you know, you, you're having a lot of products right now, but in terms of your future goals, you know, anything that you have right now to have your products more, um, you know, I know we, we I mean, in, in food, we generally talk about plant-based food or meat-free food or more sustainable food. Does that have any impact or do you think in that direction and is that something of significance for your, for, for your customers? Yes. Yes. Uh, the short answer would be yes. Um, for us, um, you know, all our products have, you know, natural sustainable ingredients, um, you know, our flagship product, which is again, very simple because it's maple syrup, which is obviously sustainable. It's harvested uh, as sap from, from trees every spring and then boiled down into maple syrup, sea salt and ginger. So it's, you know, three, three very natural and sustainable ingredients. I think overall though, as we look at product expansion, um, we definitely, are looking to keep the products within that plant-based and natural um, line. Um, it resonates with our customers, you know, in a large way. You know, our customers are interesting because they 
their, their primary focus, and we've done surveys with them, the primary focus is actually performance, right? Because they're athletes. So what they really care about the most is that the, the product performs and our product does perform. Um, it, our product's actually the easiest to digest energy gel in the market because we use natural products because we have real ginger in it. Ginger is a digestive aid. So that's the first thing. But then as soon as, as, soon as you tick that box that it performs, they're going to start looking at everything else. What are the ingredients? Are they natural? Are you, you know, an ethical company? Are you making efforts to, to minimize your impact on the planet, et cetera, et cetera. So it's really, really important. And I think, you know, most of our customers are folks who spend a lot of time outdoors, right? They're cycling, they're running, they're swimming, they're doing this sort of thing. They're, they're fairly in tune with the natural world. And so that's, you know, very important to them. Right. So, so just to build up on that, I, and I understand, you know, you, maple syrup or ginger, you know, those are some of the, uh, you know, the raw materials that you need for your product in terms of, you know, those, those raw materials are, are there, you know, you're looking for like specifically or, um, organic, you know, or non-GMO kind of a products or what's your, uh, yeah. So great question. So, um, what we found with our customers was the organic designation was not overly important to them. Um, I think one of the reasons for that, though, is that our product is so simple that it's, you, you already, you know, I mean, especially Canadians, they know where the maple syrup comes from, right? So there's no sort of mystery there. Uh, we do sell a Stroop waffle, um, which is organic. All the ingredients are organic. Um, and I think because it's a little bit more complex as a product, that does resonate. But it doesn't seem like the specific stamp of organic is necessarily something that our customers are that um, stuck on. So, so basically, you know, for, for your product innovation, thing, organic versus not organic is that doesn't it doesn't make big of a difference, right? In terms of the taste, in terms of the performance, right? Is that's not a big variable that you're looking at? No, it's not because I mean, when it comes down to it, so often let's just take maple syrup as the example because it's our primary ingredient. The way that a, a sugar bush, which is what a maple syrup farm is called, the way the sugar bush handles the maple syrup is really the only thing that makes a difference uh, to that designation and sort of inspection. So they have certain process they have to follow. The end product is the same. There's, there's no additives to maple syrup. It, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a pure, it's a natural product. It falls under the designation of natural, has minimal, um, uh, you know, uh, it, it's, it's only boiled to create it. Um, so it's not something that makes a big difference. Um, it's not a product that's getting, say, uh, sprayed with pesticides because these are just large maple forests, right? So it doesn't really, I think, matter in this context. I think for other products, it can matter though, because you might want to know, for example, um, we use palm oil in our waffles. Palm oil is something you have to be very, very careful about. Ours is certified as organic and sustainable. Um, it meets a lot of criteria to get that certification. And that, at least for us, is very important because we don't want to contribute to the problems that you know palm oil contributes to. So I think it might depend on the specific ingredient when you sort of get into it. But from the high level perspective of our customers, they're not overly concerned about that designation, it seems, with our products. Interesting. So yeah. Also, uh, just to build up on that a little bit more. Uh, so I understand right now the demand for your raw materials is pretty much met within Canada, right? So you are just sourcing all those raw materials within Canada. But in future, or do you think, or do you always kind of keep a plan B that say, there is some shortage, there's supply chain shortage or anything, or, you know, you also can source the same raw material from some, some 
in the US. And I, I don't understand, you know, I understand the maple syrup is like the, <laughs> the product, you know, um, <laughs> for Canada. I mean, the, you are the sole kind of producer of that. But in terms of your uh, future goals, do you, I mean, can you also source those products internationally? I don't know, just to kind of get some advantage. Yeah, so that's a great question. So, I mean, for the other ingredients, yes. I mean, obviously, sea salt and ginger um, can be sourced from a variety of locations, um, and that's fine. Maple syrup, you know, Canada's by far the largest producer in the world, uh, but the the Northeast in the United States produces a lot of maple syrup as well. Um, so there's there certainly is an option there. Um, and, I mean, for us, the way we look at perhaps moving to a different country would be possibly sourcing an alternative to maple syrup. So for example, if we wanted to start selling endurance tap in Australia, which is something we've been talking about, we might reformulate it using, uh, they, they have some sort of syrup that comes from like a cane sugar or something, which is what they use. Um, we might reformulate it to use that so that it's a local ingredient. And we're not relying on, on shipping maple syrup from Canada. So we sort of like, we think in that way, but in terms of North America, um, if Canada uh, can't supply maple syrup anymore, I think like, you know, the, the whole world is uh, ending at that point. <laughs> that makes sense, I know. <laughs> it completely makes sense to me. Uh, so let's move on to the next question, uh, Patrick. What is important to you as a consumer? Let's say if you are athlete, a uh, professional athlete, what is important to you when you eat and when, what, what your need would be, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I think, um, you know, speaking for myself uh, and my girlfriend, um, for us, it's really important that we're buying, you know, natural, real whole foods. We don't actually buy a lot of packaged foods. We cook from scratch, you know, most of our meals. Uh, and we live in a rural area. We're actually surrounded by farms here. So, you know, there's a lot of farmer's markets. When things are in season, we, we buy uh, local produce. We have a vegetable garden where we, you know, we grow our own uh, to a certain extent. Um, so, I mean, I think for us, yeah, we'll never buy anything without knowing where it came from. Right. Um, we always want to have a look and see, is this, uh, like if it's an avocado that's been shipped halfway across the world, we typically won't buy it. So we'll try and stick to things that are, you know, somewhat in season, uh, somewhat local, um, you know, real, real whole foods, um, less packaged, you know, um, and in that direction. So really actually the same as what we're trying to do, uh, with endurance tap. And I think as a, you know, as a recreational athlete, um, for me, it's always been the same. It's, it's more about, you know, real food um, and uh, less about, um, you know, solutions that are sort of like uh, grown in a lab. How do you see the, the corporate social responsibility CSR and, you know, what are some programs? I, I don't know. I mean, you can, if you can build up a little bit on any carbon offset programs that you're involved in doing, or how do you see that or, you know, how do you align with them? You know, maybe if not today, maybe in, in, in the future. Sure. Well, I mean, I think, you know, as business owners, uh, whether it's a small or a large business, you can make the decision of how you're going to run your business and you get to decide what's important, you know, uh, within your business and to you. And I think we're living in a time where at least to most of us, it's quite obvious that we need to start to adjust the way we're living for the sake of the planet, for the sake of, you know, future generations. So for us, a couple of the, the points I mentioned earlier, um, last year we joined 1% for the Planet, which is a fantastic organization founded by Yvonne Chouinard, who founded uh, Patagonia, the clothing company. Um, the members such as ourselves uh, pledged to donate 1% of top line revenue to environmental causes. And it's, it's important that it's 
top line revenue, not profit, right? So it doesn't matter whether you make money or lose money, 1% of, of your top line revenue is going to environmental causes. Uh, and you have to send in, you know, receipts, you have to send in your financials to 1% of the organization and they audit them. So it's a legitimate, you know, it's not just sort of a, a lip service thing. Um, so that's really important to us. And like I said, we transitioned last year as well to fully running the business on renewable power. So for us, those sorts of things are, are really important. Um, and it's great to see, you know, some larger businesses doing similar things because the larger businesses are the ones that actually can make the, the real impact. We can all make an impact and we should all individually make our impact, but, um, the larger the organization, you know, the, the more leverage they have and the more they can do. But in terms of, um, you know, let, let's talk about uh, the workforce, the, the people working for you. And I just, you know, this, this question is really of great interest to me because every organization, whenever they uh, implement new technology, there is always, uh, you know, a accepted model that we kind of keep in, in the eye and look at it, you know, how uh, the, work, the workforce can adapt that technology, right? And how good they are and how capable they are to um, accept that technology. So, you know, let, uh, tell us a little bit about the your workforce and, you know, their adaptivity uh, to, you know, innovations and, you know, how adaptable they are and how you're looking at that in, in the future, whenever you're going to roll off new technologies, you know, do you, are you going to do some sort of study to find out that, you know, this is a good fit for, for our business or for the that are working for you? For us, you know, the culture in the business is very important. And I think culturally we're all on the same page in terms of if there's a better way to do something, we want to do it better. And so if you're bringing a new technology in, really that technology should be uh, either to solve an existing problem you have or to give you, um, the potential to do something that you couldn't do in the past. And so either of those things are improvements. And I think, you know, as long as you're, you're, you're not um, introducing technology for te technology's sake, uh, I don't think there's any issue. I think that, you know, the, like our, our crew, they're going to be happy to streamline things and make things better. Um, so I don't think there's an issue there. Um, and I think as well, there's, you know, there's sometimes the fear of uh, introducing technologies that can automate might, you know, uh, shift, uh, take away from someone's job, right? Like uh, the, the robots are going to take over the world and, and no one will have a job. But I think what actually tends to happen is it just allows people to do more. So when you introduce these technologies, it allows someone to do more than they were doing before. And it hopefully takes away the things that really aren't a good use of any of our, of our time, right? Like the sort of data entry type work that, you know, ideally no humans are doing that because that's all automated and we're focusing on higher level things that are more impactful um, and we're using that technology as a lever to get more done. So you certainly are a believer of that technology can really be helpful, you know, to kind of just help uh, reduce some of the, the manual processes and make the whole, um, you know, process, supply chain process faster, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, any automations to me make sense. I think, um, uh, I think a mistake a lot of people make, again, is this fear that, uh, you know, robots and AI are going to, take over the world and we're going to be out of jobs. The reality is we can never predict uh, what the results of these new technology technologies are going to be. You know, for example, we now have people who are professional influencers on uh, Instagram, right? And then we have companies to manage those influencers. This is something in our, in our industry, it's quite common. Uh, so you hire a company to manage the people who are posting on Instagram 
you know, as a, it's a marketing ex exercise for you, but that's how they're making a living. So there's an entire industry that didn't exist in the past. And we never could have conceived of that industry existing. And it's the same with a lot of these technologies. So I think like when that fear comes up of, of uh, too much automation, um, it's just not, not realizing that that's going to lead to things that we can't possibly anticipate. There's going to be jobs that we couldn't even imagine 10 years ago would exist that now exist. Um, and typically it's sort of onwards and, and upwards, I think. You know, I just wanted to understand in terms of your, uh, you know, the target market, you know, who are the folks who are buying these products? I mean, I understand they are like professional athletes. Uh, how about, and are you also in the, some of the developing uh, market where, you know, the consumer always kind of look at the, the price tag of a product and then kind of, you know, make a decision on that. So in terms of your uh, affordability uh, metrics for your product, can you just right. uh, tell us what are you looking at and, you know, what, what's your future plans? Sure, absolutely. So, yeah, so, I mean, again, our, our, our customers range from, um, you know, professional athletes and Olympians um, to uh, weekend warriors and, you know, recreational athletes. That makes up the bulk of it. So, I mean, if I painted a picture of our, um, you know, our, our sort of uh, average customer, uh, it would be someone probably in their 30s to 40s. Um, we, we skew a little bit more to female. There may be um, training to run the first marathon, maybe the first half marathon. Um, you know, they're, they're juggling, a, a, a work life and kids and, you know, real life, but they're trying to get in their runs when they can, or their rides when they can. And, um, in terms of price point. So for us, you know, we, um, you have to be very careful, obviously with price. Um, we've priced ourselves in the, the sort of mid to upper range of our competitors. Uh, our cost of goods is higher than most of our competitors because we have, you know, all natural premium ingredients. Maple syrup is not inexpensive. Um, and we don't compete based on price. If somebody looks at endurance tap and they say, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to pay well in Canadian $3 and 25 cents for this because I can get, um, competitor X for $2 and 50 cents. Um, we can explain, you know, what our product is. Um, but we're not going to try and twist their arm. We're not going to try and make that argument. So I think, um, something that's important to keep in mind about price and value is value is really in, in the eye of the beholder in that you could say, for example, a Ferrari is too expensive, right? Like who's going to pay $200,000 for a car? Well, for the person who values that car and has the resources to buy it, it's not too expensive. If it was too expensive, nobody would buy it. So it's really like if somebody values having a high quality natural product, they're going to pay $3.25 for it versus $2.50. If they don't value having a natural high quality product and they don't mind consuming maltodextrin, then it, you know, it, they, they don't see the value in it and they're not going to buy it. And that's fine. They're not our customers. You have pretty much covered everything. Uh, now I'll give you the opportunity to kind of, you know, go with anything significant that you wanted to add that would be really, um, you know, benefited for our consumers are, I'm sorry, not our, our viewers, basically. So. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't mind uh, briefly talking about um, how for us, at least juggling our online business with our wholesale business has uh, evolved in the past couple of years with COVID. Um, so for us, as I mentioned, we have our three main channels. There's essentially our, our own website, Shopify, there's Amazon, there's wholesale to retailers. Um, obviously the margin is highest for us selling directly, but the retailers are, are super important to us um, just because it, it, you know, it gets our product all over the place. 
So the way we manage that is we always push our customers to retailers first. So we try and find a retailer that's going to work for them. It's always our, our sort of plan A. Um, if there's no retailer near them, um, we'll suggest, okay, well, you can buy, you know, you can buy from us or you can buy from Amazon if that works for you. Um, but what's really important about to, to think about with the retailers is I think what's happened in the last couple of years with COVID is that all different trends have accelerated, right? So good trends and bad trends. And obviously this huge trend towards e-commerce has accelerated. It's been very hard on bricks and mortar retailers. And I think for retailers selling things like, you know, this headset I have, I, I, I can't personally imagine driving somewhere, parking in a parking lot and walking into a store to buy, uh, you know, a, a headphone in a package. I can't even try it anyway. And I want to read reviews. So I'm just going to buy it online. So the retailers that are going to thrive in the future are ones who are providing um, an experiential um, uh, sort of like effect in their store, right? And our retailers, which are all specialty shops or run shops or bike shops, that's what they do. They have group runs, they have group rides, they have expertise in fitting shoes and then buying a bike. So they're going to do, I think, very well. And, uh, and, and they remain a key portion, uh, of, you know, a key part of our strategy. Whereas I think in some other areas, uh, even within the food industry, possibly with subtle differences, um, there's retailers that are just going to continue to struggle as people have shifted their, their um, buying behavior. Great. Uh, thanks for that. Uh, so this is great. So I think thanks. Uh, I really appreciate your time. Oh, absolutely. That was really a good story. And I'm sure you know, our, our guests, our viewers are going to be really benefit from that a lot. And um, it's going to be pretty helpful for our platform. So uh, thanks for your time today. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Future Foodcast. Future Foodcast is powered by Farm to Plate, the leading food blockchain platform. Subscribe on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts to stay up to date with the very latest innovations in the food industry. 